is a Bramble Jam podcast. Hello, I'm Bran. I love Hallmark movies. Hello, I'm Panda, and I like Hallmark Christmas movies. I'm Dan, and I despise Hallmark movies. And I'm Grizzly Adams, and I don't even know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) And this is the Deck the Hallmark Podcast. Oh, man. Boy, oh, boy. Guys, in the intro, you said just movies, and I went Christmas you did movies. Go Christmas no, Christmas I feel, movies. I feel really is, bad. Is we have neither, because our interview dropped, and we actually just got a homeless guy, yeah. and we just said, can you come on and talk with us for a few minutes, if you don't mind, sir? Yeah. And he was nice what enough to do it. What is this flab thing? <laughs> and he, he's from a very southern part of California. Yeah, no, I like it. <laughs> Christopher Palaha, how's it going, man? Hey, gentlemen, it's good to be back on your show, guys. It's Mm. good to be back. You've been on so many times, we don't even tell you what to do with your camera anymore. You just do whatever you want. That's right. Portrait mode, Usually we tell people to go sideways, not you. It's just like whatever. What if I I go sideways now? Will it change things? Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Go for it. I mean, like, if I do this, does it mess everything? There you are. For the people watching on Friendly TV, you know oh, about man. Friendly TV. You know all about, about yeah. Friendly TV. Yeah. yeah. I'm going even crazier. There we go. <laughs> man, Friendly <laughs> TV. They're loving you. Yeah. They're... Um, hi, everybody. How are you guys? Oh, oh, man. So good. What's your thought on Friendly TV? Um, I love Friendly TV. I have um, I've yet to, uh, to take the dive and to have it brought into my own house, but I know that I know that Friendly TV is probably the greatest channel on uh, television. Yeah, you know what it yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, you can you you can watch yourself on like the Hallmark on Friendly. Yeah, can I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. We're all of our episodes are on the in the on demand section on Friendly TV. That's a true story. Do you guys stream live? No, oh, no, 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 no. You got to be on the Patreon community to get yeah. the live. Hey, no stream. touching your face, Panda. No touching your face. Oh, sorry about that. Mm. You're right. You're this right. That's on me, guys. <laughs> Uh, uh, Palaha, one, how are you doing? And two, how's, uh, how's quarantine for you? Um, okay. Number one, doing good. Um, you got me, you got me, my God bless my wife. I was, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Quarantine has, uh, completely knocked off any sort of, uh, sleeping schedule of any kind. And so I will go to sleep at some nights 2 a.m. in the morning, some nights 4 a.m. Uh, last week, there was a night where I didn't even sleep. I just didn't. Wow. What are you doing? You know, honestly, I wish I could say, well, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm doing stuff. I got little projects and I'm just kind of like either thinking about those or I'm actually like writing them. Um, and so about 10 minutes ago, my wife was like, don't you have an interview with the deck, the Hallmark boys? And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. And I like cracked that. So I was, so so that's what quarantine life has been like for me. Wow. So you're just watching a lot of Family Feud. It's basically what's happening. <laughs> He's playing Animal Crossing a lot He's right now. He's playing the feud. There he is. Now, when did the razor shortage in California take, take hold? When was it? It was Mar- March 17th. They ran out of razors. Wow. It's grim. It's a grim situation. <laughs> what's it What's it like in California? Because in South Carolina, people we've given up. Yeah, yeah. People yeah, are like, just going to doing whatever they yeah, want. We in don't Cal- care. In South we Carolina. don't care. We made We made it longer than I thought we would. Yeah, yeah. Be but honest South, with Carolina you. South Carolina is notorious yeah. for not caring, yes. and they have proved so, it. No, nobody's in quarantine anymore in South Carolina. Well, the restaurants are all closed, and the schools are closed. But 
literally right. traffic is a is eighty percent of what it was when everyone it's crazy. was going. Like people are going out, they're going shopping, they're doing whatever. It's I'm nuts. touching my face. I it's just wild. it's nuts. I'll be honest with you, California is they're 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 honoring the you know, they're honoring the the quarantine codes. They um I mean I, I, it's not yeah, when you go out, like there's not that many people out. The somebody um, this is gonna sound totally, you know, contrary to what I just said. We had our first visitors over yesterday. They kept a significant ten feet difference in our backyard. And they normally live about an hour away and it took them a half an hour to get here. Wow. Wow. It's Man. just there's no traffic in LA right now. Um, the schools are closed, the hiking trails just opened up, which of course is ironic because then you're outside and, and there was literally like a 50 cars deep of people who wanted to go hiking in the trails. But, um, you know, like I'm one of the lucky ones. I wake up and I got my wife and my three kids and we've got her mother living with us, which may or may not make me one of the lucky ones, but <laughs> I tend to like her a little bit. Um, and so I've got a lot of people that I get to hang out with every day. So we'll go and we'll get our grocery, we'll get our food that, you know, we, we have our little plan for the week. Um, and we just stay home and the kids have school. And so they've been kind of, busy they've got a backbone to their day which has been a, a big life uh saver and then guys i'm not even being cheesy i um i started a family foundation in partnership with world vision uh during quarantine and i wrote this like little kids book called how are you loved which is actually right now um being looked at by thomas nelson to see if they want to publish it otherwise i'm going to self-publish it so i was just trying to find stuff to do and awesome. ended up getting kind of busy started my little palaha chautauqua yeah, Friday so, night. I'm just right? trying to stay active. Just trying to stay active, man. I love it. You mm. hear that, Thomas Nelson? If you're listening to this, it's already been announced, and so yeah, that's right. I think at this point, you're, follow you're, through. You have to sign. You have yeah. to sign. Yeah, and I believe that was a, a billion dollar contract. A bill, a billion with a B. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So kudos to you, man. Thanks. Um, what's it like, uh, being a, being a teacher? Are you, do you feel like you, I know you're teaching all your kids, like, yeah, you're the teacher. So are you good at that? I'm actually, yeah, my, my older boys are good to go. They, they are once in high school, once in eighth grade. And he, they're, I mean, I don't see them all day, but Jude and I, the little third grader and I, I actually stepped up and I said, Hey, Julian, do you mind? I'll, I'll take over. And she was like, great, go for it. And uh, so he and I, every day, we sit down. And I think what the kid's learning right now, which is the most important thing that he can learn, is A, how to make a plan. B, how to use his time wisely. And three, how to just drive himself to get the work done. Because I think in school, my little guy was always kind of a dreamer. And it took him, you know. It took him a while to finish his work. And now I'm not so concerned about like, and I really am. I mean, like I'm not so concerned about what he's learning, although he is learning area and perimeter and, you know, we're, get, we're getting the work done. But my life lesson for him is just how to work and how to make sure he gets it done. So it's actually been a cool thing. Next level, this guy. I'll tell you what, that's next level educating, Chris. Yeah. As an educational professional, teaching kids how to learn is more important than what they're learning early on. You can Are you Chris, being serious? Right now, I'm being man? dead serious, Chris. That's really well done. Thank you, brother. I mean, that's that's crushing it. Chris, Thanks, if man. you could teach us one thing, what would you want to teach us? Ooh. How to wipe up after yourself, boys. Wow. Wow. Man. That's that's you gotta fair. go front to back. <laughs> 
Wiping tips with Christopher Pala. That's what we all showed up for. It's never more important. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a as an actor who currently isn't isn't acting, do you uh, what do, what do you do to to keep your uh, what your chop your chops your chops uh, wet? What's no, the, no, 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 that is What's the term? What would you say? To hone your craft. What do you do to kind of, you're, you You got to be ready to go in a moment's notice because we could get out of this in a second. So what are you, are you doing any acting techniques to keep yourself in practice? Man, I wish I had like a short video of me practicing <laughs> uh, my, my Shakespeare monologue in the mirror doing ha's, like vocal exercises. Um, I, no, no. I would have to lose about 10 pounds real quick and I would have to shave, obviously. I had an audition for uh, something recently and it was supposed to be this like like it said his mind is as sharp as a porcupine and he was like lean and cut and ready to take it and I was like guys <laughs> I'm not <laughs> but I did it I put, it took me a week to put myself on tape it was due Monday I finally turned it in Thursday I was like guys this is hard <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be sharp, isn't it? Yeah, I was like, this is, I'm not ready to go. Dude, you know, they're definitely going to hire the yeah. guy who turned it in late to yeah. play the sharp guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sharp as attack, that guy. Yeah. 72 yeah. hours late. Chris, have you ever, have you, in your acting career, have you ever gone full method? Like, was there ever a time when you were a guy that was like, wanted to be called the name of the character, even in between takes and everything? Like, like Daniel Day Lewis? You know, I. I wish I could say I was that cool. I no, I mean I remember back in the day I was invested and I would do a ton of research and I always was like I always kind of wanted to throw my hat in the same ring as like Brando and those guys but um no, like when I'm on set, the minute they say cut, there's a part of me that's like we're just acting. Like this is just fun. Like why, why? it's that old story. You guys have heard this, I'm sure. It's Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier and they're filming uh The Marathon Man. And Dustin Hoffman is just like, and it's that torture scene where he's got his teeth that are getting pulled out. And he's doing this thing where he's running every day and he's beating the hell out of himself up. And Lawrence Olivia looks over at Hoffman one day and he's like, dear boy, have you ever tried acting? <laughs> and I don't know why, like, even in the most intense, I've also heard this story about like Joaquin Phoenix, like he was doing the, the Johnny Cash movie. Walk the line. And it was that scene where he's dying in bed. Walk the line. And there's this, and I met one, the, the guy who was the cameraman on that. We worked on the, we worked on something together. And the cameraman told me the story. He was like, "Dude, we were filming, and he is like in tears. He's dying. He's in bed. It's it's like so heavily intense. And then they say cut, and he's like, okay, you guys want to hear a joke? He lights a cigarette, tell him a joke, smoking a cigarette, and they're like, okay, action. And he drops right back into it. Wow. And I think that I love that. I love that kind of acting. Like I love being able to be in one plane and be so legitimately present and real and honest. But then when they say cut, just being me again and being like, Hey dudes, how was that? And did you find, you for dinner today? did you find like in the roles that you did a lot of heavy research for, like that was better for you? Like that you feel like those performances turned out better in your opinion, or have you come to a point now where you realize, Hey, I don't really need to do that. You know, it's funny again, like what, so my first job that anyone ever got to see was uh, this TV movie for TBN called America's Prince. And I don't know how old you guys are, but there was a there was a trifecta of biopics on TNT and TBN. And one was the James Dean story with uh, James Franco. The other one was Selena with Jennifer Lopez. And then there was me with <laughs> America's Prince. I played John F. Kennedy Jr., 
and like my Wonder Woman, like Wonder Woman being released <laughs> on demand, and Jurassic World being shut down. This one, it was like it got viewed by a, you know millions of people. We won the night. It was like forty million people tuned in to see this movie, I and mean, it just didn't like obviously it didn't do anything. Um, but I did so much research for that role. I listened to how John F. Kennedy Jr. spoke. I watched all these like PB. He did a show for PBS about New York City um, back in the. I want to say it was either the late eighties or the early nineties, but it was, it was John Kennedy and he had this, it was amazing. He walked around the city and showed people like all these cool places, you know, to, to what to do and see in New York city historically. Um, listen to interviews of him, did research on like what people said about him. Um, and I really love that. I'm really fond of that performance because a, it was my first, it was my debut, you know, like entering the world and being like, Hey, here I am as an actor. Um, and it was just so fun to know who that guy was that it actually, he affected me. Like I learned so much about him. I was like, Oh, I kind of want to do this, 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 this in my own life. Hmm. Then there's other characters that I just happened to do something on the day. And to answer your question, the response from the audience, it's not like the audience is like, Oh my God, the Kennedy performance is so much better than this other performance. Like the results end up being if people like what they like, they like what they like, right. and regardless of the work I put into it, you know. Mm. He, he, no, me. Which you is go, tricky. Go, go ahead. I, I was. We both started talking at the same time. Uh, do you well, ever I'll say one thing? It's tricky because for auditions, I can put like I can put seventy hours into an audition, or I can put two hours in, and it, one doesn't like guarantee a job. So that's what's hard because I've booked stuff where I've read it for the first time in the room. And then I've booked stuff where I've really, really worked hard, but I've also really, really worked hard and not gotten the job. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's hard. It's like, it doesn't make, it doesn't matter. And the it. harder you work, I'm sure the more attached you get to kind of wanting that role. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah you start claiming it and thinking it's yours. And when it doesn't, it's so heartbreaking. You're gutted. You're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my baby. Uh, did, uh, did you ever get lose out on a role to someone like that we would know or a show that we would know and that you just watched it later. Like we interviewed Michael Rady and he uh, was uh, auditioning against Milo for the role in this is us. And he was like, he was like, I I cast tested and I did all this stuff and I was one of about 400. And then I realized they brought in Milo and I was there just to be the, the guy if Milo turned it down or when they pitched to the studio and so when I, he's like, I love the material so much, but I can't watch the show because I just was so attached to the material. Do you ever lose any, like lose out on anything like that? Yeah. I have two stories um, where it was like me or then ultimately the guy who got it. Um, the first one in my life was uh, Matthew Weiner had me come Mad in. For, Mad oh my yeah. gosh. And I was uh, reading for the role of Don Draper and he not brought what? He didn't me in twice. Oh my goodness. Are you serious yeah i'm dead serious and i could still i could still tell you the monologue about the toasted tobacco that i had it's not not, lucky strike yeah and um and he loved me he was like man i think you're a great actor he's like you're just i'm seeing you as too young for the role of don draper and i'm seeing you too old for this other role and i didn't know what he was talking about but it was for the younger guy in the office um that was the one story that and then by the way they cast me as carlton hansen um which is like the neighbor. So yeah. kind of like a suburban dad. And, uh, I was, I filmed two episodes season one. And the craziest thing was like, I shared a triple banger with January Jones on one side 
and uh, John Hamm on the other. I mean, it was the craziest thing. We're in, because they're like leads of a show, and I was the guest actor. But there were, we go in, and they're all just sitting on their chairs going like, we have no idea what this is going to be. We have no idea what's going to happen. Cut to season two, I show up again, and they've been uh, nominated for Emmys. Uh, Banana Republic had like a whole, you know, 1960s yeah. retro, you know, throwback thing. I mean, it was crazy. Their whole world changed. Um, and the only other job that happened where it was like mine... And then it got snatched away from me was, uh, do you guys remember the NBC show? My name is Earl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jason Lee. Absolutely, man. Yeah. 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 So, and I knew it, man. I read that pilot and I said, this is going to run for five years. Whoever gets this job is going to host Saturday Night Live. Like this is going to be one of those fun jobs. I went in, I had this grown out. I had what? my chops grown out. So this was all like shaved. My hair was almost probably, this is right after North Shore. So my hair was like, and they said they wanted something to look like uh, Nicolas Cage from Raising Arizona. Yeah. So I had character worked out. I wore, okay, you want to know how method I get? I wore these weird uh, camouflage G-string like underwear because, because Earl was this kind of weirdo. And so I was like, dude, I'm going to take it all the way down. I took a beer. Oh. A of beer with me to to NBC to the president's office at NBC, and did my uh, audition. And the whole time I was Earl, I never broke character. And so I'd be like, "Hey, how you doing, lady?" I'd like, I mean, I was like checking up this guy. I mean, it was like the guy was like, and I went in and wrote on the bathroom. Earl was here. I tested against Ace Atkins, uh, not Ace Trace Atkins. Sorry, yeah, um, Trace Atkins, musician. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, um, this other actor from New York City whose wife is a big, big star, but he was really, really great. And I got the job. What? I mean, it was done. Like, NBC was like, congratulations. Uh, and then a week later, they go, you know what? Will you come back and screen test? And I go back to, now it's at Fox, because it was a Fox thing for Universal. I go back to Fox, and I'm literally on the stages of one of their shows doing the screen test with the writer, the director, and the casting director. And I do my thing. And they're like, that was wonderful. And they're like, can we, we want one dramatic. We want one really kind of crazy and clownish and more, you know, like more higher, higher comedy. So I give them this kind of range and then they're pat me on the back and they're like, great job, great job. I leave a week later. I have to come back and no. do another screen test. Dude, third screen test. Finally, I go, what's happening? Why isn't this not, this is a month of me with this crazy, you know, chops and a, and a handlebar mustache. And I'm like, what's going on, guys? And they said, well, we're not really supposed to say this, but Jason Lee has the offer. And they, he's asked for the moon. If NBC gives it to him, it's his. But if not, it's yours. Oh. And then, of course, like, of course, they gave it to Jason Lee. Um, so that one was Sour Grapes. And that was like right after I had done a series. I, we did North Shore. I was on TV. I felt like there was all this momentum train. And I'll tell you, it knocked the wind out of me so hard that my confidence was so shaken, I think, that I didn't work the entire... I couldn't get cast all of 2005. That happened January of 2005. And it was Martin Luther King's Day when I did the, the second test. And um, I didn't get cast all the way until the fall of 2005 as like a guest in two little things. But it, it really, like, it wrecked me, man. It was one of those things. I enjoyed the show. I watched it. I didn't pull a Grady, but I... Um, yeah. So... 
Those two, Tough I can't, business, boys. I can't believe fun. that we've known you for as long as we have. And A, we've never heard those two stories. And B, Wonder Woman's still not out. And I, we'll, we'll get to that later. But I, 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 I do, I, I, like, I do want to say, like, first of all, those are just phenomenal. Like two great television shows and to not be a part of that. But I know we had you on one time and you told us a story about how you were on this and then you, you, you got Backstrom later. But there was two pilot seasons where you weren't on. You did this for our Patreon community. And in those two pilot seasons, that really hurts your momentum. And I always wondered, why wasn't he on in two pilots? That doesn't make any sense. A consistently working actor that everybody knows does a good job. But the My Name is Earl story now makes perfect sense um i just i'm just yeah. blown away like that's unbelievable yeah yeah no it was it was painful man and i was you asked me if i method like it's a different brand of method that i pulled but am i clear on you guys am i clear or is it you're a good it's just a little pixelated you're good okay um yeah when i when when you ask method like i didn't have people call me earl but i i do I go that I go to that place where I fully flesh out a character and I think that was the one that I had everything like I had my baby boy was just born and I was just coming off a show and I thought this is going to be and I really truly felt like the next step was this job and when it didn't happen it's weird what it does to you psychologically and there's a million other jobs yeah you know what I mean that are that are made for you and that are going to be the ones that you end up doing but dude, it, it, it wreaks havoc in a way that you can't imagine. What? Yeah, no, the one with Backstrom was that we shot that pilot in 2013, right? Yeah. And then they held us all through 2014 to film it. And then they aired it January of 2015. Oh. So man, I missed the pilot season of 14, but I was working, so I had a job. And then the next one that I was available for would, would have been 15 but they blocked us because they were airing it in January. Yeah. So then the final, so then I was, re- I was back in at 2016, but by then I was like, yeah, yeah. The world terms, dude. It was all a totally different industry. And it's almost been, I don't even talk about how long it's been 2013 <laughs> since I got a pilot. I mean, yeah. But you, I mean, you started in this business when you were 12, right? Like you're, you're only yeah. like 32, 33. So, you know, right. uh, right. Hey, yeah. but you would, let me ask you one more question about that. Then we can get on to good, good stuff because I'm fascinated. You would have, if you could only have one of those two roles, Don Draper, Earl, you'd have still rather had Don Draper, right? <laughs> You've answered it for me. Yeah. Right. Like, I just want to make sure. Cause it sounds like you were really attached to Earl. Like, and I love my name is Earl, but like Mad Men. Well, see, here's the deal with Mad Men. And, and here's why that the, Mad Men was never mine in the sense that like I read the script um, and it was an unknown factor. It was for AMC, yeah. which, and, and go back in time and AMC had right. nothing scripted. Like this was like being on, I might, it might as well have been on like, you know, the history channel, which again, now it's like, if you say, yeah, you want to see, I mean, the business has changed so thoroughly that at that moment, there were four channels you wanted to be on. HBO wasn't even something that was like putting out. Like they had like, remember it was like Arlo or. Yeah, they had Sopranos was, was out by then. They were starting to make a name, but that was it. Yeah. Okay, so Sopranos, you're right. Okay, so there was just that Tiffany thing and you were kind of like, there was HBO, but then there was Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, and maybe the CW, but you knew that that was kind of like. <laughs> that had a, yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, Mad Men. So going into it, and, and I never felt like it was mine in the sense that Matthew was always like, will you come back and 
And so there was never a, but with Earl, it was like, I felt possession of that thing. Mm. So that's the only reason the heart like, yeah. drew better to that. That one. makes sense. But man, Mad Men, come on. That would have been, <laughs> I'd be sitting, I, you wouldn't be looking at a umbrella right now. You'd be looking it's at a like yurt. ocean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is it? Uh, I you know I imagine it's also challenging as a creative person who wants to write and wants to continue to ex- expand because you know you write something and you send it off and you just kind of you're you're waiting. What, how difficult is that for a creative person to write something or to come up with an idea like you're doing right now with this book and you send it out into the world and you just have have to have to wait? Like, is that just the hardest thing in the world, the waiting game? Yeah. It really is, um, and it's such a key factor to this business, to what to what creative people do. Um, hey, I don't want to get all crazy on you guys, and, and I don't often retweet the Pope, but did you see there was a, a tweet the Pope put out last night? He was praying for creatives, and he was like, because he was looking at what all the, just what all these different writers and poets and actors and musicians are doing in this time of COVID right now, and he was just commending them. There's something really cool about artists, um, you know, we go off into a dark place and we have this idea and we put our sweat and blood and tears into it. And then we, like a child at a dinner party, we bring this little gift to the people and we're like, here, do you guys like it? And the people either love it or they don't. And um, when it rolls in your favor, it's enough fuel to keep you going for the rest of your life. I mean, that's why like I'm an actor is because when I was a freshman in high school, I did a play and the feeling I got from doing it, but also the response I got from my peers for doing it was so intense. It was like rocket fuel. I was like, I could do this forever. Um, so yeah, when you go, especially when you write something, um, yeah, it's, there's a huge pressure to have it accepted, not just for your soul, but also financially. Like when I go and I take an idea, I, I can make a lot of money if someone says yes. And with that money, I can feed my family and I can keep the house going for a couple months longer and I can put fuel in my car. If they say no, it's like, okay. And it's, so it's the time that I put into it. It's the confidence that it takes to keep going into it. But the other thing is I've learned in this business is that you have to change people's minds. And so when I was 20 years old and trying to be an actor, I went in for a lot of stuff and I didn't book anything for the first year. So 99 to 2000, I I had probably 120 auditions. I didn't book a single one. I didn't get a call back. That's 120 opportunities that I, that I did not get any ground on. And I remember sitting there thinking like something's got to shift and I had to change people's minds. I had to go into rooms and say, no, you can hire me and put a a bunch of weight on my shoulders and I will do the job. I'll make it work for you. And so now as I've, establish myself as an actor and I can walk into a room and people trust that I can do the work. Now I'm wanting to direct, I'm wanting to write, I'm wanting to produce and I have to invite myself to the table and I just have to start doing those things. And so like Hallmark has been this amazing company to work for, for me because I keep bringing them ideas and I sit down with Randy and Michelle and I say, and I pitch and I've sold the one thing with Mike Larkin, which is taking as long as Wonder Woman to even, you know, we've got a script that's now greenlit. And now when the world lifts, apparently we can go shoot that at some point. But, um, but it's this like inc- these incremental little, it's like a game of football. I, I, it's yards. You know what I mean? Like I get a yard, it's a game. If I get another yard, it's a game. If I can get 10 yards and I got another a whole nother, you know what I mean? So it's, there's a lot of failure in it and there's a lot of, 
but every fail also pushes me forward. I've learned how to pitch better. I learned how to write treatments better so that I, know, I can understand that when I'm telling my story, how to hone that in and, and, and sell it. So all of it's a learning curve and all of it's a good experience, even the failure. Let me ask you this. I'm, I'm, I've started listening to the uh, Scrubs podcast that uh, Zach Braff is doing. And he's, he shares that he, you know, he read this, this pilot script and he knew it was going to be a hit. And everybody at NBC knew it was going to be a hit. You're talking about Earl. You knew that whoever got this role is going to be a hit. How, what is it about uh, a certain scripts and maybe you have a different view on this now that you're, you're writing yourself that, you know, Hey, this is something special. This is different than a show that's going to be on for a year. This one's going to go the distance. What's the difference between a really great work and one that's just like, I don't know. Well, a lot of it comes down to, there's just like an energy in the screenplay itself. And when you read it, it just flies off the page and the characters are vibrant and they're clearly cut defined characters where you're like, I get, I see this person, I know who this is. And then the world is really clear and defined. And it's often one that is familiar to us, but one that we haven't seen before, if that's, a, if that's not a too odd a contradiction. Um, and then also it comes down to the people involved. And usually there's a writer or a director or somebody who's got a really wonderful track record. And you're like, all right, this thing is going to, this is there. Just like me, like coming off North Shore feeling like my next step is up. You'll get a writer or a showrunner whose next step is up. And you're like, this, this project has a ton of energy. Um, Liz Tiglar just did Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. I don't know if you guys have been watching I saw that. you on there as the reporter, Chris. And uh, Kerry Washington. Reporter, reporter number two. That's right. The best of the reporters. Big time. Can I say that? That's right. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, and uh, I love that it's reporter number two. She's like, I don't want to give you guys names because I think it's funny. It's cool. Um, I was like, we don't need names. We're reporters. <laughs> um, and uh, but she, you know, when she started that project, everybody in town there was an electricity all through Hollywood, and they were like, this is the t- this is the project to be on. Um, and so things are anointed before they're even made. And a lot of times stuff like scrubs, I remember I auditioned, that was one of the, by the way, funny that you mentioned that, that was one of the 120 I auditioned for and didn't get any traction in New York city. I auditioned for scrubs for Zach's role, uh, in New York city. Wow. Yeah. Well, from what I gather, everybody auditioned um, for that show. Yeah. Like, JD was, and Turk had a lot of some, auditions. There was just something yeah. about that show that everybody was auditioning for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was because the creator was coming off of something hot. Yeah, Bill Lawrence. I think he did like Spin City or something else like that. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. Yep. Yeah, and so it was all kind of that momentum leading leading towards uh, success. Wow, man. Um, so let me ask you this: You are? Uh, pro- did you get a producer credit on the Mystery One Hundred Ones? Did you get that? I'm, I can't remember. No. Okay. No. Are you looking into producing some of your future Hallmark movies? No, Jill and I. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Because I know that that seems to be the step. Once you get, once you're around for three or four years, you tend to see that exec credit or or that producer credit somewhere on there. And you just said you were interested in writing and acting. I wondered if that was something that you'd done yet. I didn't notice it in the credits, though. Yeah, no, not for Mystery 101, but there's something I did with a guy, uh, Mike Larkin, um, that we're calling Trouble in Paradise. And I will be uh, a producer on that. And then, you know, we've got it written and we've, so that's, yeah, that is definitely the next step. Um, which is what I really enjoy, like Hallmark. That's what one of the, one of the cool things, but again, it's not, 
it's not like a it's not a part of their policy like randy pope is somebody who's like man i'm not just going to open the door for anybody like you have to prove if you want to direct i gotta know that you can direct i've got to you either have to have directed a a independent film or go shadow people or you know do the work um and the same thing with producing they don't just throw it at people like you've got to really you've got to produce you've got to bring the elements together and come up with a really great story idea and um as many times they've said yes to me once and i've gone in and pitched for uh, it's you know what i mean like four other times and randy was like yeah it's it's a good idea but i've heard it before and try it again now you pitched so to deck the hallmark movie given, yeah you, know? you pitched to deck the hallmark movie and randy said no and i just i can't believe he said no why did he say no exactly well he said that um I think that my mistake was I wanted to play you, Dan. <laughs> and I think had I gone in and pitched it playing Brandon, yeah. you know, I think that it would have been because he was like, it's just too, you're coming at it from a, we can't, you know what I said? But I, but I, and I thought the story worked because the whole movie was about your heart changing and warming up. You yeah. The girl, she loves Hallmark. You ultimately love, wow. you know what I mean? It was, yeah. It was, uh, I don't know. See, I, the- I kind of bought pitch the problem is again it was one of my first pitches yeah, and it wasn't as smooth and i'm glad you, you caught up the problem is is i demanded jason lee play me in the movie was that too soon <laughs> <laughs> jason lee <laughs> i'm glad you're a good sport yeah. about it hey let me ask we you just this. watched um, we just watched almost famous he's a cool dude oh I yeah got it almost know? famous is it. great movie um, let me ask you this. Yeah, I know you're in the middle of, you're, you're in the middle of, uh, filming when this COVID thing hit and how hard is it? Like, do you think, I guess, to, to jump back into a role? Have you ever had to wait this long in the middle of a shoot before? Like, have you ever had to wait, like whether I, I'm not, I don't know what you're filming. I'm just saying like, if you ever had to wait as long as you're waiting right now to jump back in and act like you were just there yesterday? No. No, this is insane. We were filming and we were two weeks in and the crew was heading to another location. We headed back to LA just for like a two week window. And then we were going to, I was going to jump and meet up with the crew again. And in that two week window, the world shut down and the production was very cool about it. They were like, all right, well, let's just see, but we're going to push two weeks. And at the end of two weeks, we'll see where we are. And we'll just kind of push the calendar back. I mean, this, this is a, a beast of a film and they've got all their money locked up. And so, um, they're ready to rock and roll as soon as, you know, COVID permits. And they're just pushing that calendar back further and further and further. It's just that idea of the unknown. And here's the thing about like creatives, um, where my heart goes out to, to this industry. Um, like I'm really, again, like I'm lucky. I've, I've got little residuals that trickle in. I've got a couple jobs lined up. That doesn't mean I'm getting paid for them, but at least I know that I'm, I'm going to work at some point. And I, I don't have that fear of like, man, I got to go get a job after this whole thing. Um, and I get to wake up and hang out with my family, but I can't imagine for people who don't, like you guys having me on your show right now, this is such a sweet treat for me because it gives me something to do and it puts me out there on friendly TV and on your podcast, which is being streamed by millions of people, by the way, and I'll finish my, what I was just saying in a second, but I was taking uh, my dogs for a walk and there's this woman named Wendy who lives in my neighborhood. 
And uh, she used to live in New York City, and she saw me on the roof putting my lights on in my New York sh- in my U shirt, and she was like, "New York City." And we had this conversation. I was on my roof; she was down in the grass. But then this day, we were both in the grass. I had my dogs, and she had her earbuds on. And she's like, "Can I?" I'm so sorry to bother you. She's like, "I just want to say how she was. She's Jewish, and she wanted to say, Dan, how much double holiday meant to her." <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't forgotten that, Dan. Um, Sorry, and, man. Uh, Call him like I see him. Yet. And she's like, in fact, no. And she said, in fact, I'm listening to uh, I'm listening to Deck the Hallmark right now. And she had nothing but great things to say about you guys. So, so for me to be able to come on to your show, this gives me fuel to keep going and know that I'm still a part of the conversation. The little thing I started, the Palaha Chautauqua that I'm doing on Fridays, has been such a joy for me to to have something to look forward to, uh, and then to interact with with people who've been enjoying my work, who are just little tiny icons on my Facebook or my Instagram page. I'm actually getting to meet them and get to know them. Um, And there's other guys like Rain Wilson, who's doing Hello Human every day, or John Krasinski, who's doing his Some Good News. So there's some of us who are able to like continue on. But if you're just sitting at home waiting this thing out, and you don't have a job lined up, and you don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from... um, it, it's terrifying. I mean, it's it's not good. And I know there's a lot of people who are in that position right now who aren't just. It's not just the creatives. It's like there's a lot of people out there who are who are just waiting, you know, for their life to continue. So, so I'm empathetic for that. Yeah, I got. Uh, this is your completely unprofessional opinion. I know that you're not an executive at Hallmark. How many Hallmark Christmas movies are we going to see in 2020? <laughs> I think it's a, just a matter of time. I know that for a fact, I know that Hallmark started filming Christmas 2020 in probably November, as, as early as November of 19. Um, McLean Nelson has one that he filmed in Brussels uh, that's starring Brendan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elliot, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so that one's good to go. I know they were filming some in January and February, so they probably have, I don't know, maybe 10 in the can already, if not more. Um, and then as soon as this thing is lifted, they'll have, as, I mean, they will, I guarantee you, they will have all systems firing. I mean, it'll be, they'll have, who knows how many they can make, but it only takes three weeks to make them, and they can, technically, they can get them edited in three weeks. So you're looking at a six week turnaround. I mean, in Rocky Mountain Christmas was actually less than six week turnaround, wasn't it? Like you did that one like right away, dude. Yeah, that was like we got cast and we filmed it, and then they, yeah, we they spat it out like a week later. It was crazy. That was weird. Mm. Let me ask you this: as a uh, a creative boy um, who loves the movies and loves uh, cinema, I feel like every uh, every few days there's an article about the future of theatrical releases, the movie theater, um, and how executives at these, uh, you know, companies are, are not sure of what that looks like and moving forward. And, and where do you kind of expect, or where do you think the business is heading after, after COVID? Is there any, uh, sense that the whole landscape of the industry is going to look completely different, um, after COVID? Yeah. My gut feeling is, is that when they realize that they can make the same amount of money by just opening things up at home and letting people watch at home. Um, and in fact, in some cases more money because it's easier to just push a button and say, Oh, I can watch that a lot right now. Um, 
I mean, let's do the math. Let's do the math together real quick. Does one of you have a calculator handy? Yeah, man, go for it. Okay, what's the average price of a movie ticket? I think it's across the country like $10.80. Okay, so let's do $10.80 and times it by, uh, let's just say 10 million people go see that movie. What are we at box office-wise? If 10 million people see a movie, you're making all kinds of money. Um, let's see. Yeah, you've made, well, you made $108 million bucks. That's the box okay. office term. Okay, so you made $108 million. Now let's say, okay, so we, the math is easy. We just keep jumping up. So, up, 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 up. Um, so you need a, you, you need a hundred, what did, what did I say? You need a, what, what was that? 10 How million people? people. 10 million. So you need, I guess, what do you need? A uh, hundred million people to make a billion dollars? Is that kind of the rule? And that's globally? Yeah. Yeah. So then if you, so that's, that's 10 million individuals. So like 64 million people or 64 million households have downloaded Tiger Man or Tiger, Tiger King. King. Yeah. Right. So you've got like, you start looking at the numbers in a way of like, well, how do we, and if we're charging 20 bucks, so now we're getting two tickets, even though five people in that family might see the movie. Like, I think they're looking at the numbers and I think they're going to look at business and be like, I don't know, it, it, you know, uh, upward, um, or was it onward? Sorry. I'm so bad with names. Onward. onward yeah. the Chris Pratt cartoon. Like, I don't know how, I don't know the numbers, but I know that they released it at home and it was a good enough sort of take that it, it's making the industry look at things differently and go like, well, this is a viable option. And you were saying, I didn't hear this yet about wonder woman, but if they're even considering releasing it straight to the home audience, then obviously it's a viable enough business opportunity for them to make their money back and plus. So, I mean, I love movies. I love going to a theater. I like sitting in a dark room with a bunch of strangers. I want to hear people's reactions. Mm. I like feeling, I want to know when other people are laughing and I want to know, like when you, when you make a movie guys and you go and preview it in a theater with people, it is, there's no greater feeling. Mm. Like when we did Where Hope Grows in front of an audience and we would take that movie to these different audiences around the country and watch it with their families and to hear when they were laughing and to feel when they were sad and you could hear people sniffling when they're crying. I mean, it's like being in live theater. It's an amazing feeling. Um, but you're not always watching movies with your audience. So after that, it doesn't matter where they watch it as long as people are watching it. So I think, I don't know, to answer your question... Uh, it's uncertain and I can imagine it's so expensive to run those cinemas and that's why you pay 80 bucks for a bucket of popcorn because they have to make their money somehow and concessions is where they make it all um, and so to keep the rent and the upkeep and the staff them it's expensive and it's a lot easier just to like and so I think just the way that Napster changed music and now we stream everything we don't buy CDs anymore no one does I mean you go to concerts and you download your music and I have a a, a weird feeling that maybe that's where movies are headed. I, th I think I love going to the movies, Chris, what you were saying, you were preaching man about just going and sitting in a dark room and everything like that is just my favorite thing. And I miss that so much. Um, too. But like, I do think that there will be specialists like Christopher Nolan is never going to release a movie for streaming. Like he's only going to release it in the theater, but it right. will probably, in my opinion, eventually become something that costs a specialty price. So it will be like, all right, it's like going to the play right now. It's like going to see Hamilton or something. Like you want to sure. see the new Nolan, you got to pay 30, 40 bucks, you know, and then when right. you get in there, then the concessions are probably normal price. Like I, I think big budget, you know, I think the Wonder Womans of the world are, are more likely going to still be in theaters, but it won't be like, why would you release the latest like prestige drama on the big screen? Like, here's the thing is, 
uh, Panda and I, we went to New York City uh, for Christmas con. We went to New Jersey. We drove, we rented a car. We drove into Manhattan to see the Irishman on a big screen, right? So, so like, we are the exception to that rule. Most mm-hmm. people are like, three hours long, I'm going to watch that on Netflix at home and take, you know, bathroom breaks and popcorn breaks. I wanted to see Martin Scorsese on the big screen. That's what I wanted. I went out of my way to drive from New Jersey into Manhattan to do it. But I don't think that that is a viable economic option moving forward. To to your point, I think, yeah, I think most of the smaller budget are animated movies or kids' movies. You're just going to stick at home and watch it. Why not? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. There's this whole thing about, like, Zoom meetings. Um, We were going to church yesterday uh, online. You know, we streamed it. And they were talking about these home, these little home churches, you know, the small groups, and they have a hundred percent attendance. People, because it's so easy. And then we have a friend who's a tutor, and he was telling us, he's like, "Yeah, I, I'm still tutoring people for their schools and for classes." He's actually, I do it all from home. I can zoom on, uh, like I'm not having to drive anywhere. If I have 15 minutes, I can hang out with my wife, and we can talk between classes. And I'm still getting. Wow. So I think the global economy is going to look at this is shut the the way that it's shut down like we're missing a lot of stuff but we were also like there was a lot of stuff that was broken that was just so excessive and 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 a product of greed and i think that's kind of i don't know i mean who the heck knows it's probably going to jump right back to where it was and then everything's gonna be like remember when we had to you know but who knows but it's interesting to see that there's a way to function and 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 Mm -hmm. and have a streamline, still get your money, still do your thing, but still be present at home. And I feel like cinema is a part of that where you're going to be able to go to the movies and have this great movie night with your family. And so home entertainment is going to get more intense television, sound systems. I don't know. I feel like it's probably a part of the future very much. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's talk about mystery 101.5. Um, let's do it. it's time for us to do that. We, we just reviewed it. Um, Panda Panda said it was his favorite of mystery he's ever watched. I just want you to, to let you know that uh, of the mystery. <laughs> yep, it's it's the best one of the of mystery one hundred and one. No, of like, all the mysteries. I, that is not uh, all the mysteries on Hallmark movies and mysteries. That is channel. correct. Is yeah. the my favorite yeah. mystery of all of any mystery series on Hallmark. This is my favorite one. I love that man. What did, that's amazing. Well, I love that. I and I will I say this. I I do think that. The, I told you this after we reviewed the fourth one, Dead Talk, that I thought that they had progressively, save for the one that was on the stage, they had progressively yeah, gotten yeah, better, and Dead Talk was my favorite. I did not like this one as much as Dead Talk, but I thought I still think that these movies do you know a, a much better service to a movie watching community than most of the other Hallmark movies. Like I do think that getting to see your characters grow and getting Robin Thomas in there. And every time you guys, anytime all three of you guys are together, it's kind of a treat to watch. So um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, I, I, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Chris, which of these has been your favorite one to either film or just looking back on it, it has been your favorite overall. Of the mysteries. Yeah. Of mystery one one Um, I feel like, I mean, just from a pleasure point, like an actual joy to, to do, like Jill and I filming the pilot and our director was a guy named Blair Hayes, who was a Los Angeles guy. He did Bubble Boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jake 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 yeah. yeah. And he, um, we just had such a fun time making it and it actually felt like we were making a real movie. Um, and it's where we got to flex our muscles. Like, 
Dan, you asked if I'm if I have a producer credit on the Mystery 101, and I don't technically, but but Jill and I are very much producers of that. Like we we vet the material. We are constantly in contact with John Christopher Plummer and saying, well, what if we say this? What if we do this? Would you mind? And there's a constant sort of like. Uh, uh, I call it quality control where I'm like, I don't think that we're going to say that. And I don't know that we should be doing that. And so there is this, and it's an amazing, they're listening to me and they say, sure. Um, again, Jill is like the greatest partner to have because I say something and she's like, no, he's right. Let's do it that way. Or she'll do stuff. And instead of bulldozing over her, like what a lot of directors will be like, don't ah, too many questions. I'll be like, hold on a second. The reason she's asking a question is there's a bump there. Let's try to figure out like, is it a, like let's figure it out. And oftentimes Jill's got this really sensitive uh, sort of machine that she works with as her as an instrument, as an actor, where she's like, I don't know why. And she's usually like, there's a better way if she bumps on something, there's usually a better way to do to get the point across to what she's saying without a bump. Um, and so that's something that I learned in, in the in the pilot of it. So I think overall that was a lot of fun. But of course, I the last one was just a juicy character thing for Jill and I. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I think the audience is waiting for that. You know that the ending for so long, and to be able to give them the ending they wanted. We, by the way, we filmed four different endings. What? Like, that was that was one of four. So we filmed an ending. And then Hallmark, they looked at the tape and they were like, no, 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 we got to go back. And so then we did this other one. And then they were like, yeah, no, we have to do it again. And so we did one coming out of the restaurant and then we did one in a parking lot. And uh, the one that we did coming out of the restaurant was kind of everybody on the set's favorite. Like it was the most romantic. It was the most pointed, like deliberate. Like this is what these two people are doing and wanting to do. Um, And I do know, in fact, where we're going to go from here. And uh, it's cool. Like did did all the next two? Did all four endings end with a kiss? Yeah, they did. Okay, they all did. But they were just different. Like one was like this kind of hasty accidental thing, and one was in, yeah. like I said, one was in a parking lot. Um, one was in the middle of a crime scene. Like it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dead bodies Nothing everywhere. More romantic than that. <laughs> Literally like they were like, we were like, like one minute, one thing was happening and the next I'm kissing. Her. I was like, this is awful. You guys, like, this is what the audience wants to see at all. Like we'll do it. I got to tell you, you know, I, I texted you after I watched it yesterday and just how happy I was, even though I, I know you and Jill, I don't know. Like you guys, Travis and Amy, when I'm watching this, I'm in. <laughs> I love it. And the chemistry between you two, I think people like the fans love it. Like love you and Jill together, uh, whether it's Pearl mm-hmm. in Paradise or Mystery 101. I personally would love to see this more as a, like I'd, now that you guys are together, I want more of them. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like it to be streamlined into like just an hour long show. Uh, we get like 10 in a row, 10 weeks in a row. Like a procedural, many, like many, a yeah, case of the week. Many mysteries, but the relationship is evolving a little bit. Now that you guys are together, like I don't want to wait um, to, right, to kind of see right. that evolve. And so, um, that's my pitch, right. to, pitch to you. Let's, let's just keep this sucker. Why down. don't you, why don't you get that? Why don't you get an online petition going for Hallmark people to, to say, come on, like serialize this thing. We'd be down. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Man. Uh, we, we, as we typically do, we do have some questions that I think you can answer, yes. um, right. to give some clarity. And uh, there's Wait, a, big, Brandon, what was your, I know your take, but okay. Well, never mind. You did. You, you said he you loved it. They, they both loved it. I said it was the yeah. second best of the, of the five movies. They both said it was the best was of the favorite. five movies. Yeah. You guys, it matters. You have public. You, you've got the. You're like the rudder in, in the in the in the sea of public taste. You yeah. know, 
Well, I mean, ran, random ladies are walking down the street listening to it That's and right. talking to you about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, for me, like part of the reason that it wasn't my favorite of them is because I thought that the mystery itself, it was so obvious who did it. Like it was so like the new guy in town with the wrist uh, cast. I mean, like it, like, you know, like you may as well put a highlighter on him, Chris, like, like that to me was a little bit too, that it just kind of, it kind of like, I think you guys have you found a rhythm like that thing's a machine and you're, you're getting to build a character, which I like. I love the fact that if you look at Travis Burke in the first one versus the fifth one, like he's let his guard down a little bit. He's still the same dude. Like he's a dogged detective, but he's not nearly as piercing and intense as he was in one as he is in five, because he's with somebody that he trusts. He has uh, affection for you get to hear about it. You know, his divorce, you get to like, so I think, and I think you appreciate that too. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but like, I think you like building a character and, and continuing to put those blocks up. And that shines through in these movies, even if the case is as convoluted as always, or if it's obvious that the yeah. guy in the cast did it. Well, Dan, I got it real quick before you guys ask me questions. They had a script ready to shoot in November. We shot that in January. And the script that, that came to everyone's desk on November, uh, Bill Abbott, uh, RIP. Who that? Who that? With. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Randy Pope was like, mm, this isn't the one. And so they did this massive page one rewrite in November, trying to get it ready for December. And so what you saw were that. So what they, what the a story in this, in this episode five, mystery, mystery 101.5, the a story is Travis and Amy's relationship is everything building to the kiss. Um, and then unfortunately the B story is the actual murder itself, which is not normally the case. And it was a bit of a Frankenstein. So you're right to feel that that one was not, like the most intense murder because it was it was they were just trying to figure out how to fit all the pieces together at one point uh my ex-wife was in the show wow like you were gonna meet her um so yeah it's really interesting if you guys if if we were to hold the curtain back in a way that to show the audience how these things are made from a to b or a to z i guess um it's really fascinating how much time and energy and attention is paid to mm. even the scripts before they're given to the actors and before i mean we literally had people costuming a movie ready to shoot at the end of november that got held for a couple weeks for thanksgiving and they was they were going to get ready to shoot in december and they said scratch it we're not doing it we're going to rewrite the script we'll do it in january which i'm so grateful for because that was you know that allowed me to coast through this quarantine business but um yeah it's crazy That's, that makes so much sense because i thought the red herring of the detective howard was a really weak wet red herring. Like it was, that was I, the, what I said in the episode was that was the, it was the most frustrating red herring because it just didn't make sense. That detective, it was just every time he was on screen, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is he the way that he is? And then it didn't really add anything. But aside yeah. from that, I just, I, I loved it. But that was the, and that, that makes sense because the, the mystery was the B story yeah. in this case. So that the red herring didn't maybe get fleshed out as much. Hey, I got a question for you guys before we continue. If I sent you something, and you could keep this in the show, or you could you could do what you want with this piece of little next bit here. But if I were to send the three of you something, would you read it and and do what you do and give me yes. some notes? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, we would do that. All right, I'm going to do that as soon as we hang up. I love it. It's going to cost you. Quarantine's been rough. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are going to put a few advertisements into whatever you send yeah. us. It's what, we, it's what we do. There's nothing we can do about that. Uh, you can. No, okay, uh, let's do it. Let's fire away. The all right. Questions. So we had a few, um, but I, I have to start with my biggest one, Chris, and I, I really need your help here. Um, this at the beginning of this movie, we get the standard music intro. Who could it be? And then we see that they're the guys in exchanging the inhalers. And then we see him go in the other room, get the safe, get the Huck Finn. And then all of a sudden we see that it's a TV show and you guys are all on the couch watching the TV, right? Yeah. Right. So, right. Um, my question is, is was that entire introduction, the TV show we were watching or was it the actual crime? No, it was the TV show. Okay. It was like a real, yeah, right, yeah. it was amazing. The TV you know, like show, the TV show is called, we know who done it. That's the name of the TV show. So my follow-up right. question, Chris, and I hope you're ready is how in the world on a TV show where they're reenacting a crime, did they get the actual perpetrator of the crime to reenact it? <laughs> You know what? I asked myself the exact same question. I was like, why? Why do they have a guy? Like, why is he the guy? Um, I don't know, man. That's a good question. That is a mystery in and of itself. It's, was, the, was the TV show produced by O.J. Simpson? Was it like a, if you did this, we're, we're not saying you did it, but if you did it. How would you go about it? (laughs) My name's not on it as a producer. Um, Yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, it's those things. It's those little tiny moments where you're like, I watched it too. And I, here's the way that I answered it in my head was like, now let me ask you a question because I actually didn't see the first like two minutes of this thing. Do they show him doing the crime? Yes. Or do they just show him in prison? So they don't show it. He was like in prison. Yeah, they show his face at the very end. So they don't show him exchanging the inhalers. He's in all black. But after he gets the thing out of the safe, he turns around and they show his face. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And then secondly, like looking at that guy, how is the police able to arrest and detain John Wick? Like that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's yoked, isn't he? Yeah, he's a big dude, man. He looks like Keanu. He's a big dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he looks like Keanu. Yeah, from yeah from from John Wick. That's right. Um, yeah, isn't that what you just said? I just, just said it. That? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, my wife just asked. I'm so sorry. She just asked me to print up my kids. Like, like things. So I'm sitting here trying to like print something up as I'm trying to be with you guys. I'm so sorry. You're fine. Um, I'm back. I'm You're okay. fine, man. No, no, no. <laughs> We'll give it to Jason Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, go ahead. You guys can ask some. I got got more. I I didn't have any. All of mine were already answered in the Um, show. Can can we talk about this uh, janitor uh, in the basement? He has one scene, and maybe this was part of the rewrite. So there's one scene where Jill is going to get these files out of the basement, right? You know where I'm talking about? at this point right okay so then the yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow the basement kind of collapsed we have like a domino effect situation and all these files like she gets you know they all fall yeah. on her and then Good we go start we go to yeah. commercial yeah. break thinking that there's some foul play that there's something that's happened and then we come back from commercial and there's this guy i assume he's a janitor he's something and he brings her this box of evidence and he says i can't find the other box and i know where i packed everything down here which one that's weird that you know where everything is but that's neither here nor there and then as she walks away, he has this very sinister look on his face. 
Like the the camera closes, puts a close up, and he looks like she's on she's onto something. She's about to figure something out. I got to start covering my tracks, and then we never see this guy again. Like, is he just a weird dude, or, or what's going on there? Man, I I think. Do you think that it was maybe like like the director was thinking like, oh, I know, I'll put another red herring in right here. Like, yeah, wasn't it an attempt? Wasn't an attempt to kind of steer the audience in the wrong direction? Maybe? I don't know, Chris. We weren't on set. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't make <laughs> the movie. Die in that moment. If you don't see my face on camera, I'm not on set. I'm like hanging out at Rodney's eating oysters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need you to be on set for now, on Chris. Yeah. Um, I have a question about. Uh, do we? Are we gonna get any more backstory about the Wolfman serial killer? You think? Because that is a great. That's a great backstory there. Yeah, do you guys remember there was a, a, a certain podcast that sort of pitched a, a serial killer storyline? Do you yep. remember this that guy moment? right here? I did it. That's me. Yeah, you might have you might have uh, spoke something into the universe. Yeah, you did it, Dan. Mm. I just want credit from there your is. mouth. I don't need credit on the actual credits. I just want credit from Chris Pala. That's all I want. Well, I mean, it came. I mean, you said it. You said it last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said it a long time ago. Um, the uh, I think I think who knows, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Wolfman uh, came back. I mean, you literally I did say that you know. I wouldn't be surprised like, if the full moon rose again. Wow! Oh, see what he did there. Bang, bang, bang. Guys, I think I it's happening. It. I think it's Rudy happening. Garrison, Washington. I love it. So when do we get flown out for that? Yeah. When when do I get? Since I've got a writer's credit now, when do I get flown out for that? You know, you know what we should do. We should do some kind of patron, um, some kind of patron deal, where, and we'll have to figure out the budget because I, I, I certainly don't want to pay for all of this. But maybe friendly TV might. Um, where patron, patron does a. Uh, you guys do an award thing. Ah, and I owe your friend. I still owe that. I have that script. Man. Oh, my gosh. So we're, go. We have a bet here at the office. We have a bet if they're going to get the script or if Wonder Woman's going to come out first here at the office. <laughs> and we're still holding out on both no, of no, those. Okay, here's the deal. Which is Brandon, what's Brandon betting on? Because I need one of you to send me your address, and I will get it mailed this week. All right, for, I'll text you an address as soon as we get on the phone. Okay, so um, but you guys should do something on Patreon where where we do some kind of um, uh, fundraiser or uh, an award type system where uh, when the winner comes and hangs out on set, uh, Mystery One Hundred One. And uh, if you guys wanted to come with that person, that would be an amazing. It would be a lot of fun. And you have my. I, I, that's an easy thing for me to be able to extend that invitation right now. Um, whenever this thing, whenever the you know quarantine period ends. But uh, then you could actually come and be on set and, and see how it goes from the ground up. Oh, we're doing that. Fun. We yeah. got we got credit card points. That's, that's so happened. sweet of you to offer to pay for all that, though. That's yeah, like- Chris, really, to foot the bill in, in, during COVID, nonetheless. <laughs> what a guy. I mean, sushi was enough, Chris. No, sushi was enough. Friendly, I said friendly TV will foot the bill. <laughs> you hear that, Basil? <laughs> you hear that, buddy? Yeah. Um, are we good? I, I've got... I, I got nothing else. Yeah, I, I want to know a little bit about Howard, uh, the detective who is no... I, do I, is he no longer with the police force there? He's like retired, I guess? Or is he still with them? The case is just closed. Yeah, that was clear, wasn't it? Yeah, I think... I, I can't remember. I mean, I, it, it, what was he no, still... No, he's retired. Okay, right? yeah. So, yeah. 
My question is, no, is he's that, retired. He's done. And I'm the guy who I, I filled his place. Gotcha. So Jill is leaving the police station. It's at night. And you say, hey, call me when you get home. And she literally walks down the stairs of the police station. And Howard, the former detective who everybody knows, tries to basically forcibly abduct her right in front of the police station. Was there ever a part when you're reading the script going? Yes. <laughs> like what's going on there? Risky. Yeah, yeah I would say Risky so. Risky move on Howard's part. Yeah, and the fact that he um, never gets thrown in jail either. I think the only Well, he well, he he uh he got put into the the question quarantine, um in the interrogation room. Uh he the only logical kind of step that we took was that that Travis and Amy were there so late. Mm. Like it was like at two AM, she's making her way home. It's rainy outside. She left her cell phone, so I come out with the cell phone, which is why the only reason why I'm out there at that hour. Um, and usually, police stations close up. Her. What about yeah, midnight? It was a bold move on his part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, the activity, right? Like yeah, the yeah, day-to-day yeah, yeah. activity. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. The hustle and bustle of the police gets quiet at night. Of course, <laughs> it gets quiet at night. Yeah. Sure no cri- no crimes, crimes committed. Typically in committed most of the time. Day. <laughs> yeah. Like, who knew? Yeah, broad daylight. Most, that's that's prime time. Historically, most, most crimes are committed between the hours of of nine and five. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Done. The way Do- the way Dolly Parton intended it. That's right. Um, all right, we want to do a little quick rapid fire. Of course. I, mean, I don't know what else we could possibly need to know, but I think we can. Yeah. I think we can figure it out. Dan, do you want to start us yeah. off? Chris, what's your favorite blockbuster movie of all time? Um. 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 Oh man. Um. Favorite of all time? Yeah. Starting with Jaws. Moving forward. Oh my gosh. I'd have to. I'd have to. Oh my gosh, these are intense questions already. I'm sweating. I mean, I'm gonna have to go historically. I can remember when I watched Jurassic Park for the first time, mm. and that water. You know, I can remember uh, watching Wonder Woman for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but the one that I have the most vivid memory, the earliest memory, the biggest blockbuster, earliest memory has the most sentimental value. I guess would be ET. Mm. Great answer. ET. You have to be turned into an animal for 24 hours. What animal do you pick? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my kids and I just played this game the other night, and it was like, you're a lobster or a clam. What would you rather be? And I was like, we're lobsters. So we worked our way all the way up, and we decided that it was going to be either a peregrine falcon, which is the fastest animal in the world, um, or a big cat, like a lion or a bear. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we decided that being a human is the best of all the animals. Yeah, fair. I think it is. Um, let's go back to Blockbuster, but the actual video store. Um, percentage, how often would you say you actually uh, were kind and rewound the tape before returning it? How, what percentage? Oh, it was a good 98%. Wow. Wow, we that's were, good. We were rewinders, and we were frequent visitors. I had a Blockbuster card. We were there every weekend. Love it. Man, I miss Blockbuster. It's the best. It was fun, wasn't it? It oh, was a fun little so we'd stroll down those aisles and you just kind of You would all walk like typical. I would always we would walk in happy and we would walk out miserable. Like we would we would walk we It's would like walk IKEA. In, we, it's like IKEA. We would walk in one big happy family and we're walking out with the worst movie on God's green earth. <laughs> 
Why, no did one... I, why did I spend so much time in it's the like, foreign like, section? We all came in for the new release that's all out, just the pictures of the thing up there, and we left with Surviving Christmas with Ben Affleck. Yeah. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, and like half the time... I love the specificity. <laughs> like, we, we, we're all screaming at each other. Just Half like, the time yeah. I'd walk out with a WrestleMania from yeah, 10 years just, ago, and I don't know why. Well, I was like, WrestleMania. I don't watch this one. <laughs> I, yeah, so I, I do miss it. All right, Chris... You're teaching some third grade right now. I need you to be honest. What subject gives you the most trouble? Um, well, I thought math was going to, but then it was area. And now we're doing compact area or compound area. Sorry. And, and I get it, dude. I understand it. Wow. Like I'm crushing third grade math in a way that I never <laughs> did in third grade. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, let's see what else. Um, yeah, no, I would say that math is the one that makes me sweat. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. Uh, your cast for a musical of your choice, which musical would you like to be in? So what's your favorite musical is what he's asking. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. If you had to be in any musical, which one would you want to be in? You know, I think it'd be fun to be in Jesus Christ Superstar. Nice. Mm. Yeah. And be like the guy who's like, listen to me, Jesus, I don't like what I see. You know oh, what I mean? Wow. Like, do, like, do one of those things. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You're in line for checkout. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're in line for checkout at the Blockbuster. Uh, (laughs) What candy or snack were you uh, trying to convince mom and dad to buy? Now, let me ask you a question, Brandon. Is this any candy in the world or the stuff that was sold at Blockbuster? This is a big difference. Yes, this is specific to Blockbuster. Yeah, they had that really, there was a weird candy I can see it and I can't remember. I mean, they had like their own brand of candy, didn't they? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, at one point they did. Yeah, They, they sold candy that you couldn't find at the movie theater. I don't mm-hmm. know if they had their own yeah. brand, but it was something different. It was different stuff. And there was like a gummy, uh, there were these gummy things that I dug. Um, yeah, it was always the gummies. Whenever there's a gummy involved, I'm down. Wow. It's man. whether it's a sour worm or a gummy bear. Like gummy bears is like you'll see me like imagine this bearded guy just sitting back watching W you know like some wrestling at night just popping gummy bears in. <laughs> there he is. I love it. Hey boys. Hey boys. <laughs> Chris, in honor of the Hallmark crowd, what's your favorite? But I will ro- say this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I will say this real quick for you guys because I think this is a cool little tidbit. So I grew up in Reno, Nevada, and we had Blockbuster Video. But we had this guy that owned a van, and it was loaded. <laughs> Before it goes too dark, um, yeah, he'd drive around and say, and he was filled with candy, and he'd drive around and say, "Hey, kids!" But he, he it literally was it was filled with it was filled with candy, movie posters, and movie rentals, and he would drive to your house, and the van door would slide like the the it was like a VW, and the side of the van would open up, and he had this counter set up. And it was like a blockbuster on wheels. And um, there was a period in time where I was like collecting, I bought movie posters. And I remember specifically my neighbors and alien, Kim Bassinger and Dan Aykroyd. Mm. And Kim Bassinger was so beautiful. I remember, and that was like, she was on, they were on, that was the poster on my wall. Though I had a couple others, but I can't remember any of them other than that one. Um, and it was insane because we would get the candy and we would get the video. And then I would like on special occasions get a poster. Wow. Now, so when did they arrest this guy? Yeah, in the there's, a, there's a lot of unsolved murders in Reno, aren't there? Yeah. <laughs> well, it actually 
she is the next mystery one on one. That could there could not be a more Reno story on the planet. Like, yeah. Las Vegas would have like a nice candy store. <laughs> we got this guy in a van. <laughs> one of my buddies went missing, but you know, <laughs> candy tastes there. great. But I got an awesome poster. <laughs> I really need some Skittles. <laughs> Uh, this this skittle's a little chewy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sorry, guys. Boy, that was dark. Come guys. on, man. You're so Jeez. Why are you? It's a family show. Friendly TV. Oh, all right. I need your favorite Christopher Walken performance, and you have to do your Christopher Walken impression to tell me the My answer. Favorite? Okay. Um. All right. Ready? Yeah. Hold on a second. It doesn't work because I've got so much beard on my face. Yeah. But uh, okay, answer me one question before I do the impersonation. Okay. Uh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie called Catch Me If You Can. Yes. Leonardo DiCaprio plays what character? He's the guy who steals everything. What is his name? I'll look it up. Hold on one second. Yeah. Catch me if. It's a great What's movie. His... Yeah. Um... He plays Frank Abagnale Jr. Frank, where yeah. you go? Okay, ready? Yeah. So it's Christopher Walken as Frank Abagnale, and he's doing the dance right with the wife. Yeah. He looks over. He's like, "Hey, Frank, where are you gonna go, Frank? Where are you going next, Frank?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. It's my favorite, my favorite rapid fire the- moment. Yeah, which isn't one of my fa- my my best. You know, Christopher Walken's one of those. I think every actor has to be able to do. So you got to be able to do Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> and here's here's the bottom line, with Jack. You bring it right up to the eyes. You look him square down and say, "What are you talking about?" And then and then Walken, Walken is just is this? I mean, hold on, <clears throat> Christopher Walken. I don't know too many guys who can't do a pretty good Christopher Walken impersonation. It's a little like this sometimes. I don't know. It gets yeah. lost. No, the that's longer, great. The longer you do it, the longer they, you get lost. Can you do a Regis Philbin? Because that's, that's, that's <laughs> really <Daddy>. the... <laughs> Come on! I love it. We should just have an impersonations hour uh, with yeah, Chris. See that. how he does. Was that your question? It can be sure. Why not? Gee. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Well, I mean, it's sure. Well, I I got a question for you. No, he doesn't. All right, Panda hit. <laughs> no, I used it. I did. It was the Regis question. <laughs> Panda is really no. He's really bad on the spot, Chris. He doesn't have another one. That was him stalling. I, I got no. I did have one, do you, but then I forgot it because you guys threw me. You guys throw me off my game. I'm all set. I'm focused. I come here to be a professional every week, and this is what happens. Uh, Chris, if you could go to any store that you <laughs> next question, Brand asked. No, a question. I want to know what's the coolest store you've ever been in. Yeah, your question again. I'm sorry, I got distracted by you. <laughs> What's the coolest store you've ever been in? The coolest store yeah. you've ever been in? Yeah, Teen People wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. You know what? I actually have an answer for you. I mean, that's the <laughs> randomest question I've ever gotten. But there used to be a there used to be a paper store on Broadway in New York City, and it was an old, like, 
they made their own paper. They harvested paper from foreign places and you could see the guy pressing it between books in the back and it smelled like paper and they sold ink that you had to dip a fountain pen in and you know what I mean? Like it was like a writing cool. an old tiny and this had prime real estate. This was like on Broadway between Prince and Spring. Like we're talking about Soho, 1995. And I used to get my stationery there to write thank you notes and to, you know, for my little grandma's, like I'd write my little nanny a letter. And I had like the dopest stationery of any college kid in the country. And it was thanks to that store. Mm. Wow. Yep. You see, I, that's a great question a great on my answer part. answer to a subpar no, question, No, no, that Chris, question really was next it. level good, and I just wanted the record to show that. All right, I have my last I mean, question. definitely the most unusual <laughs> of questions. It wins a prize for something. Thank you. Like Thank you, Chris. Like a lot of Hallmark movies. That's, that's true. Yeah, you get it. All right, a, a, a quick writing exercise to end the day. You have right, 30 seconds to pitch a heist movie in as much detail as you can. Off the top of your head, go. Okay, it's called O'Shaughnessy's Eleven. No, sorry, O'Shaughnessy Seven. It's about seven guys in Reno, Nevada, who their master plan is to rob um, a Reno casino, thinking that it's an easier target. Um, they they have a whole sort of like Ocean's Eleven, right? We all know that movie, so that does half the work for me. We hear the plan. We then see them sort of fictionally execute the plan, uh, which involves a roulette uh, impersonator, involves a fake busboy, involves a person who is wanting to check into the hotel. Yeah, that's time. Uh, and boy, that was rough. <laughs> got to be honest with you, quarantine's got you, got you out of practice. Shoot, man. Man. I mean... All right. <laughs> Chris, we did it. As always, Chris. What a joy. Such a pleasure to have you on our little podcast, man. You're the best, dude. Guys, I always love coming and hanging out with you guys. It's been a fun ride with uh, the four of us. We've That's had right. a fun little ride so far. It's too bad it's Next coming stop, Canada. Close. That's right. Next stop, hey, Canada. Hey, I'm serious about that. Let's figure out a way to make that happen. I love it. If you're if it if it logistically works out for everybody. Okay. I like it. Um I was thinking about what I'm gonna write for your book. You guys have a book coming out, which I'm excited to read and and you've kindly asked me to to contribute something and I was thinking about our uh it's been a fun little ride, man. You guys it's been cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what you write. I, I really am. Yeah, you're you're a writer. I've seen yeah. you write the, the the stuff that you've written, like the the lean into the love thing for Hallmark. Well written, man. You you, you know what you're doing. Thanks, dudes. Just don't write Thanks. a heist. What are you maybe. talking about? Don't. What do you? Which, hey, the high, come on, man. That was actually pretty good. O'Shaughnessy seven. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, may we? Uh, they get locked in the, they get locked in the cellar at the end. Yeah. Know? Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Deck the Hallmark is a Bramble Jam podcast. It's presented by Friendly TV and recorded live in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bramble Jam podcast network studios. It's produced by Brandon Gray. You can find out more information at deckthehallmark.com.